We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paul with my co-host, the man of the hour, the partner in crime, former Los Angeles Rams defensive back, Michael Stewart. And, well, we're here to talk a little bit of the theater of absurd, of the absurd. That's, how, well, that's what I'm calling it. I can't wait to see what Mike's thoughts are on this. But we are going to discuss Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio and his comments about Jared Goff and also... Later on, we're going to talk to Houston Sports Talk's Robert Land as part of a tour in the league to look at the Houston Titans. Houston Titans? What am I on? 
Tony for the Houston Texans. Houston Texans. Mike, <laughs> I need to leave that in just so just the a humbling moment for me. Don't, don't add, I'm not going to add that at all. I'm a train right. wreck. I'm all flustered over Jericho. I've been brewing you are for flustered. days. You're man. flustered right I, I think now. you saw my face the moment we popped on the screen here. I've been, I did. I've been fuming on this. I just don't have room. I don't have time for stupidity, and this is where this is going. But anyways, how you doing, bud? I'm good, man. How are you? It's a wonderful day full of joy and cheer. Yes, Serious. it is. Serious. It's a good day. It's a good day. All right, folks, before we move on, I'll let you know this episode is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood's Team. We also want to remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker, and, of course, iTunes. You'll also find our podcast list with Clutch Points. They feature an awesome app full of loads of NBA and NFL information at your fingertips. Check them out at ClutchPoints.com or download the app. Also, don't forget, we're under another five-star review contest for our iTunes. Listen, you don't have to write this big, flowery, long review full of all kinds of words of adulation. Oh, I'm sure Mike would like a few, okay? But, <laughs> but it is worth 75 bucks for one lucky winner. Once with 200 five-star reviews, you're reviewing all of our shows. Rams on Censor, which is our Rated R broadcast. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. They are. These guys are Rated R. That's, they're inappropriate. I'll get out. Um, Steve and Johnny over at Bunny Head, and of course here us here at Rams Talk Radio. Also, how that works? It's pretty simple. Hit over iTunes, leave a five star review, send us an email at Rams Talk nineteen forty five gmail.com and with a copy, a screenshot of your entry, so we know who to award when this whole thing's over with. And we'll also read your feedback on the show. Finally, one more thing, just one more thing. I promise, one more thing. If you aren't quite there leaving us a five-star review, send us an email at ramstop1945 and gmail.com and let us know what you think we can do better because we can always get better. In life, that's how things go. You can always get better. On the football field, Mike can attest to that. It's always about getting better one day at a time. All right, so here we go. Speaking of getting better, I am... Lordy, Lordy, how are you even going here? Pro Football Talks Mike Florio. I have to believe he needs to go back to the drawing board and get a little better. I, I don't understand this at all. His comments this week, I, you know what, Mike, you want to read them? You want to go ahead and just put them out there and let people go through his comments as, as we I'm, do? I'm, I'm going to let you go at it so you can get a little more worked up. <laughs> you want me to get more worked up? Are you serious? You want me to get more worked up than I already am? All right, so There's, Mike Florio, yeah. when discussing Jared Goff this week, this is what he actually said. This is a, uh, taking this from Fox Sports Radio, Dan Patrick Show. He said the following: "I'm very skeptical about Jared Goff. I would not be surprised if he doesn't get a second contract with the Rams. I think there's a chance. This is all a quote here that Sean McVay at some point is going to find his own guy. Remember, he inherited Jared Goff." There may be somebody that McVay is eyeing at some point to come in and be that long-term guy because you got to ask yourself, am I willing to commit $35 million a year to Jared Goff or could I find a younger guy who I could get a lot cheaper and put pieces around him? That's the big problem now. You have those earlier the young quarterback where he's dirt cheap under a rookie wage deal and then you have to ask yourself, do we pay huge money? Eventually, someone's going to say, we're not... We are just not going to pay the huge money. We'll go find someone else. Mike, what are your thoughts here? My thoughts are, wow, somebody actually said it 
to make it common knowledge across the board. <clears throat> the one thing I agree about uh, with Mike uh, Florio is simply eventually teams are going to figure out you can't have your your cap predominantly tied up into one player because it's a it's still a team sport. That being the case, teams have got to really start getting strategic about how much money they're going to give the quarterback in comparison to everyone else. So that's where I think it's not so much about Jarrett himself personally. It's just the position is now causing teams to pay this enormous amount of money to just one of their players, yet they're trying to make the playoffs or win a Super Bowl year in and year out. And so I like some of the other comments on some of the other uh, podcasts or what have you. I, I heard that, you know, he just gave examples like Seattle, uh, some teams like that who are now really cap heavy with the quarterback, you know, Seattle's case, Russell Wilson, you know, and you never hate for a guy to get his money, not get his money. But at the same time, the reality is if one guy is, you know, predominantly carrying or taking the majority of the cap, how many more good players can you really get or keep when all the money's tied up in one one position? You see, but the thing there is this. Seattle hasn't really skipped a beat. They were on the downturn. Not yet. Well, oh, but they went and reloaded. They, this last year was supposed to be a down year for them. After that huge, massive blowout, lost the Rams. Everybody had Seattle in the, in the grave, okay? They go out there. They, they draft in a very weird way. None of us ever would have imagined they draft this way. The draft class works out. They then turn around this spring, and they pay Wilson all this money for an elite quarterback because no matter what anybody says to me, Russell Wilson is a top five elite quarterback in the league, right? No doubt, no doubt. All right. So I I just don't buy the idea that teams have to fall apart. It's about it's it's about math, it's about cap management. If you're really good at the cap management part, you can make it work. Here's my real question concerning Mike Florio. Why would you be skeptical about Jared Goff all concerning concerning his contracts? Is he, is he average to you? There's a lot of people out there criticizing Jared Goff based on a performance in the Super Bowl and in parts and times last season, but I'm sorry, any quarterback under that kind of pressure, I don't care if it was Peyton Manning, the way they were coming at Goff, any one of them would have struggled. Any one of them would have. And he's still a young quarterback. So I'm not sure why all of a sudden you have the Jared Goff haters out there in the world saying, well, I'm not sure Jared Goff's not going to get that contract. Well, if you're, if it's not about Jared Goff, then why is he saying Carson Wentz's name? Or why well, he- you got you got to think about how these tactics and things like this. Now let's just talk about it from a, a standpoint of negotiation. If you are the Rams and what happens with all these high level teams, everything, certain things are supposed to be in the closet. It's just between us, but for whatever reason, certain things always seem to get out. So if we're looking at a purely standpoint, negotiation, negotiating in the public, down the road this is a subtle message like jared we're gonna put this out there that hey you're not really mcveigh's guy we're gonna put out there that he can win with any quarterback or he can go get a guy of his own choosing having a similar makeup from you know his days as a a college wide receiver or a quarterback or whatever he did and then you know worked his way up pretty quickly 
but you know he kind of has an overcomer I would say spirit about him himself now he's a head coach but negotiation purpose wise you put that out there Jared Goff you better show up big time this year buddy else you're not getting that money oh are you are you insinuating or implying whatever the word is here that the Rams leaked this to Florio well you gotta figure why would he all of a sudden just specifically start talking about Jared Goff? What happens in a lot of these so-called closed-door situation? a buddy tells a buddy of a buddy like, hey, man, you know, I heard such and such talking about such and such. Because Florio, he's not going to go on the air like he did on the Dan Patrick show and start saying that unless he has some type of inside proof and he can put it out there is, hey, this is just my thoughts based on the cap and money and what I know. But you'll be surprised. Some of this stuff, they figure, hey, we can get our guy over here to just kind of mention it in kind of this roundabout way to get you upset. Makes me go like, wow, this is kind of early that this is coming out already. We haven't even got to camp this year. So why would this come out all of a sudden now, I always look at that stuff and being a player. All these things are, to me, negotiate, negotiation, you know, rhetoric and, and ways to start getting a guy to start thinking about certain things. But I don't really think the Rams are really moving yet. It's two years. They got two years plus right now of him under their control. Two years of contract plus any kind of franchise tie after that. They don't have to do anything right now. And this is come this is piggybacking off of Bill Barnwell's article where he ran the idea of trading Goff and so on and so forth. But there are other guys who are coming up first, Dak Prescott, for example. And I know the Eagles are expected to re-sign Wentz here to an extension very soon. I just don't understand why when you have other guys who have just as many question marks, why zero in on Jared Goff? You're saying something you're saying the Rams leaked this to, to, to him. I'm not sure. I'm saying that's a that's a possibility because you're looking at, again, you know, as I stated earlier, when you're looking at it from a purely cap point of view, somebody is eventually going to say, you know what, we just can't give up 80% of the cap every year. Somebody's going to be the person that ha- or the team that has to say, Enough is enough. We'll use the draft to get the next quarterback. And again, maybe the way the league is going allows a quarterback to come in and play a lot earlier. You know, I think a telltale sign will be uh, our guy in Arizona, coming out of Arizona, Kyler Murray. Murray. You know, if he goes in and does well, now you may see a wave of, hey, let's get an RPO type guy in here. That's the new wave. That's the new quarterback. You know, is McVay looking down the road and saying, yeah, well, Jarrett's not going to be one of those kind of guys. You know, Russell Wilson, he can get out there and make plays on his own. Uh, you know, and there's a number of the quarterbacks who can kind of extend plays and do those things. So you you got to just think of, you know, how is McVay thinking? Is he thinking of, you know, the offense of yesteryear? That's the, what the Raiders keep trying to be the long ball and just keep drafting speed and height the receiver, you know, and here comes Gruden. He's trying to bring back the heyday of the Raider days when they just could run by people or out, jump them, throw the ball up, and, you know, we're winning playoff games and Super Bowls. But is that a yesteryear offense? I don't know. 
you know, Gruden is trying to resurrect that style of play. We'll see what happens. Obviously, with Kyler Murray in Arizona, you know, with Kingsbury, he's trying to bring a whole new style to the NFL level. But these, all these things are just, to me, again, negotiating tactics. And, you know, they're there every day. So maybe there is some truth to what happened in the Super Bowl that, you know, do miss a couple plays that should have been, you know, spot on. So I don't know. That's their evaluation. But it's just funny that this type of rhetoric is coming out now right after the draft and heading into camps and different things. It's just the timing seems really weird for him to just arbitrarily just start something. But I would counter-argue that. I would argue that the timing actually works against your argument because on April 20th, just a month ago, a month and change ago, the Rams exercised their $22.783 million option on Goff. So if they were really going to hold it over his head, they were going to trade him, you don't exercise that option that guarantees him this money. Yeah, but it's like playing spades. Do you show someone your hand? No, you might lose a hand to ultimately win the game. But so, you're, you're showing the hand right now by exercising that option. You're just showing your hand. You're saying you're part of that plan. You're going to be the part of the plan as of right now. But we don't know how that breaks out over the next couple years in regards to this next two years. How much do they actually pay out? And maybe it's easier on the cap that in two years from now, they can go out and get whomever or they draft someone in the draft. So that's what I mean. All these things seem like they're coming back to how they're trying to structure the cap to either have flexibility to maybe pay off or to move on. So to me, all this stuff is just gamesmanship right now. All right. So this is this is where I'm going to counter argue here for on several on. points. Okay, several points. All right. No offense. A. I mean, by the way, I know there are articles out there. I know Benny Bonsignori over at the Athletic wrote an article about this, and he made his case. And I have not read any of these. These are I didn't want anybody else's arguments to influence my argument at all. So I have no idea what anybody else has really said. I haven't listened to any podcasts about it. But this, this is my thought process. A, if you are going to commit to somebody long-term, it's going to be a quarterback, not, no offense, Aaron Donald, defensive lineman. Okay? Aaron Donald, with especially with the size being what it is and what his attributes are, he is more likely over, the, over a shorter period of time to see a regression in skill. That's just statistical. You have quarterbacks who will play a 38-39. You don't see defensive linemen, especially his size defensive linemen, who use speech, speed going that far. Okay, so they're going to invest big money, and they put big money in Aaron Dahl versus other big money. It's going to be the quarterback. That's They're not going to go out there and take that risk. B, when they're talking about this being Sean McVay's guy, yes, he, invent, he, he inherited Jared Goff. But if it wasn't his guy, he could have traded Jared Goff and somebody would have taken him at a decent, pretty decent draft pick value right away after that first year. He could have traded him then and there. And instead, this is what we get out of Jared Goff. Season 1 under McVay. 11-4 record, 3,804 yards, 28 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, leads the league in yards for catch at 12.9. Year number 2 under McVay, 13-3, 4,680 yards, 12 interceptions, yes, but also 32 touchdowns. So combined, 60 touchdowns and 19 interceptions in two seasons. Also, again, 12.9 yards 
per catch. Rating in both years, 100.5, 101.1. There are some issues, i.e. QBRs in the highest. He's, he took more sacks this year. I get that. However, overall, a quarterback who in his first three years has thrown 65 touchdown passes, and that was in the 0-7 first year, you're going to throw him away? He, and he wasn't – doesn't fly to me. doesn't fly at all. A guy who fits California, fits the style in Los Angeles, has been embraced by nearly everybody there, except for unless, you're, unless you are somebody who hates the Rams. Uh, I always see people who crap it on Jared Goff all the time. For what? For a guy who threw 60, 60 touchdown passes in the first two years at McVay? I don't see it that way. I don't see it as McVay and him being a system together. I don't see it as a system quarterback thing. I can go back to film. I can look at the Minnesota film. The Minnesota film is the best example of that. A system quarterback does not make the throws he made in that game. He's not just some system quarterback. We saw throughout the year. So I don't buy the argument that, well, he'll find somebody else. You were there. You were there. You remember what happened when Jim Everett lost a little bit of his mojo behind a bad offensive line. Yeah, but exactly. So my thing is, when you're at that high level, you can know by being around a guy day in and day out. Nothing against great individual, great team player, great player at times. What guys want to see, they want to see the Joe Montana show up when they got to go 80 yards in a minute to win the game. They want to see... You know, uh, Brady having to go the distance, no tight ends, uh, a raggedy makeshift offensive line, no real high caliber receivers, but you still win a Super Bowl. They want to be able to see what you do in crunch time. So if you just take this last year Super Bowl that a couple throws by most quarterback standards are really basic throws, easy money throws that you don't make because it's the biggest game, you're on the biggest stage, that's when we need you to show up. Not against Minnesota when it's not really counting. This is the Super Bowl. So the thing is, the McVeighs, the the West Needs, and the rest of the organization, they know if they have a guy who has that moxie or that fire or you look in their eyes and they can do it, when it really counts. Oh, you mean like the NFC Championship game? Yeah. See, that's where I'm going to come back with the argument there and say, listen, the, the, the Saints have him down, what, 13 nothing. They dominate that first quarter. Everybody's shaking up. Jared Goff's shaking up. What's he do? He leads his team back down the field, and they win that game. Yeah, but how does the they game drive that? too? But they turn that on what? It was a defensive play. It was well, the, but who who's scoring the points here? Who's who's making the plans to get that ball downfield? They the overtime play, yeah, sure, it's a defensive play. But then that's because the Saints what they got the ball first, right? What's the Rams do? They go downfield, they get their field goal to win the game to tie the game in the fourth quarter when they should probably, if not for <laughs> Roby Coleman pulling his magic trick, okay, they probably should have lost that game at that point. They turn around, they go out and get the game tying drive. We've seen him do these things. It's not just about Minnesota. He's done these things over the course of two years. We're looking at a, a right. franchise that's been quarterback breath for the much of the last 20 years. Right. So I saw the same thing in a game where Flipper Anderson and Jim, my buddy Jim Everett, hooked up and held the most yards for many years. You know, a Sunday night game, I believe it was. Overtime win. 
in New Orleans, right? Monday night? It was yeah, Monday night game. Oh, I remember it, man. I yeah. was sitting I was yeah. on the so, couch, man, in my little pajamas. But then you fast forward to the NFC Championship game when we got to have it against the Niners. We get an underthrow on a wide open flipper Anderson. Ronnie Locke comes over, makes a big play, similar to the McCourty play that where's the dude come out of nowhere and you go like, wow, man, my man was wide open if we hit that. Then we go on to lose in a route. So, but many people look at, oh man, what a great game. The, the overtime went against the Saints and some other big games that Jim threw all over the nation. But for us, it's like, well, we needed that same situation to happen when we're trying to go to the Super Bowl and it didn't. Not any not, you know, because the great thing about sports you're going to have days when you're on the money, and then there are other days certain things just don't work out. My thing is, what Florio is saying to me is, eventually teams are going to say, well, maybe the quarterback is not the one guy that really makes it go. So you got an offensive-minded coach like a McVay. He and, and Steve may say, well, man, we don't need to give – this amount of money because of my system, my play calling, or whatever. I don't know. But that has to be the assumption. Again, I go back to, well, why is this even coming up at this point in time unless somebody in the organization is putting that out there? Going back here, real quick. You're talking about the, the, what's the 1989 season, but 1990 NFC Championship game. Wasn't how many sacks were in that game? In the 89 cham- championship game? How many, sacks did, how many sacks did Jim Everett take in that game? Oh, it was probably a lot. But he also took what they called a phantom sack. You yeah. know, but <clears throat> the did. thing is a game, a game is a game of momentum swings. If we hit that pass and go up 10 points, well, now the, the momentum swings to, to us. So now the offense, they now have to start doing some different things. But it doesn't big play of the defense end up stopping them. I remember we give up some points, and now we're going at halftime. I think we were down by three or whatever it was. So these games at that level are momentum games and swings. So one thing could swing it either way, positive or negatively, for you, and you, you can recover or you can't recover. So the good teams, regardless of the situation, a lot of Patriots – Hey, man, they look at it like, hey, it's just another day at the office. We've been here before. Let's go. You know, us at that time, you know, me, that was my first time at that level. We were in the playoffs the year before. But a lot of us, you know, we were hurting a lot of injuries. So we kind of needed to have everything go right, especially playing in candlestick in their backyard. So all those things, you know, ultimately, this is a game of momentum swings because it's like in that game, uh, the Rams this year, if we hit that pass in the end zone when the guy's wide open to the back, that's a momentum swing. Changes the game a little bit. That's also one play. How many plays did Jim Everett hit over and over and over again that day? It's a team game, right? right? It's a team game, but team you got to remember certain routes and certain plays are made to be l- delivered at a certain time. Sometimes quarterbacks take sacks unnecessarily because they're either not getting the ball out or not throwing the ball away. And Brady's a prime example of that. He's just like, man, let's live to be another down. If you remember, 
we were playing Ernie Zampezi was our old coordinator. So a lot more of our routes were downfield type of routes. But there are also a lot of times, if you go back and look at that game, Greg Bell is swinging wide open in the flats, time in and time in and time in again. Never got the ball. Whereas again, oh, just hit the check down. Greg runs for 5, 10, 15 yards. Okay, that keeps the chains moving. But when you're determined to, sometimes you get in this kind of, okay, well, I got to make a play. So I got to hold in here and I'm going to try to go downfield. Sack. Oh, I'm going to try to hold in here again. I'm looking for Pete Holhan. Oh, he's kind of covered. I'm going to my third option. Oh, man, another sack. When you got guys on check downs, they're wide open. And I think that's what sometimes, you know, we miss out on when you analyze some of these games. But if you go back and look at the tape, you'll see Greg Bell time and time again on a swing route, a little check down, wide open. Buford McGee, wide open. So what you're saying is basically – they were trying to make a play and got busted trying to make a play. Well, what I'm saying is most of these routes are timing routes. And so you know by the fact that certain things are happening or game flow that, okay, I need to get this ball out of here a little quicker today. And by doing that, now a defense has to call the dogs off. So they can't just be blitzing you know, every single down, sending the extra guy. They got to now start playing a little more defense. But if they can just pin their their ears back and come, it's going to be a long day for pretty much any old line or or a, a quarterback. These are singular plays, single situations we're talking about. And all of a sudden, you're going to base up your entire franchise future and a quarterback signing off of that for a young guy who's 21 years old. No, but what I'm saying now. is. What I'm saying is you got to now take the evaluative expertise of the staff, the scout, the coach, the old coordinator, which is McVeigh, I think, in this this case. You got to take it all into to part of how the decision is going to be made a year or two from now. We're not talking about next year. You see, but I don't believe that, and this is why. I don't believe it because – Again, if they if that was where they were looking, we're thinking we better replace him. They don't extend him now for another year. They they're looking to trade him because they got another. They have a roster. They have a nucleus of people who are entering their primes now. If you're going to waste a year holding on to somebody you don't think is going to work, you're wasting a year for all those players. Well, I don't think they're wasting a year. I think they're going to use it as an evaluation year, though. So I think at the end of the day. They're going to be looking at this as a kind of, I don't want to say make or break it year, but guarantee now that you're going to be the most hunted team in the NFL, you've come off another good year, you went to the big game. The thing is, can you now repeat it? So if we see that the interception ratio go way up, then you're going to go, oh, maybe they knew something we didn't know because now the stakes are even higher. So now you're every Sunday, everybody's trying to beat you. Last year they kind of were, but not really. Now this year they're definitely going to be because they're thinking in themselves, well, we got better too. I'm just saying you don't extend somebody for $22 million for an evaluation year. You've already had enough for two years to evaluate him in that system. You're going to evaluate him for a third year. And in in this third year, they're going to have two basically – 
two second-year guys who were rookies in terms of their starting time and the interior of their line, and that's how you're going to judge them? Well, exactly, but believe me, the NFL is not fair because once you step on the field, they don't care if you're a rookie, if you're playing behind a makeshift. You know, again, the 3-13 and year we had, with the Rams, when Jeff Fisher was our D coordinator, and we're installing a, the Bear 42 defense and all that good stuff, you know, it was a lot of checks and a lot of learning early on. But by the time we hit mid-year, defensively, we were saying like, oh, this thing, can we can work with this. But offensively, we weren't able to sustain certain things. Defensively, on the other hand, I mean, literally every week, we had a guy sign on Monday, play in the game on Sunday, get cut after the game on Sunday. And that went like six or seven weeks. So you'd have two or three new D linemen, a linebacker or something come in for like these one week hired guns, if you will, trying to just, you know, find a mix or a certain guy or a guy gets injured. And then, you know, you're just playing with all this kind of a band-aid type of approach. So I've seen that happen, but they don't care. They're like, you go out here, you the NFL, Mike, you're playing on a sorry. You sorry too now. It's like, hey man, I'm out here playing hard. Okay, but you guys three and thirteen. So they don't care that you got different guys, new guys, a new new staff. They like, you guys sorry. Three and thirteen. Supposed yeah. to be an NFL team. But you put the flip off of that too. If you're gonna let him go as a free agent, let's say say post twenty twenty, entering free agency that year, thirty three year old Kirk Cousins, thirty two year old Cam Newton, 33-year-old Andy Dalton, 27-year-old Mitch Trubisky, Carson Wentz, unless he, unless he does his, his, re, um, his new contract here. So, I mean, that's your free agent class, and you're not going to want to spend money on those guys. So you're basically saying, hey, let's go ahead and get rid of the known commodity in Jared Goff, and maybe we'll find somebody we can develop in the draft that's our guy. You're going to go back to square one all over again. That's essentially what he's saying, though. And you're not going to pick anywhere near the top of the first round for this stuff either. No, that's true. You're, 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 you're making some valid points. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, you know, devil's advocate, if you will. This is what goes on at the NFL level that from a natural standpoint, fan point, it doesn't really make sense. I'm just saying from a negotiation, finance, money situation, it makes a lot of sense in why they would, okay, we'll extend the guy. Okay, we're going to give him smoke and mirrors. Oh, man, this is going to be our guy for the long haul, but not really. We're going to actually use this as an evaluation year to see if we really want to dig into our pockets. Or they may know he's good enough, but now they may use a statistical, you know, step downward and say, well, you know, Jared, your, your QBR dropped a little. You had a few more picks this year. We know you're playing behind a makeshift line. However, you should be a little bit more seasoned. So you should be able to overcome that with your maturity and time now in the system. You'll be surprised what they use in negotiation to try to get you at a lower number. So all these things come into play at the end of the day. All these deals, no matter who you are, what it is, it comes down to money. You look at what happened with with Pittsburgh. 
everybody will say, man, A.B. Antonio Brown is one of the best receivers. Like, why would you let him go? Oh, well, he has antics and he does this and he does that. And then you go, okay, well, Ben Roethlisberger, he's not the stellar guy that everybody thinks. Well, why did they pay him and not the other guy? And everybody on the team goes, well, the other guy should have got paid. I don't know. Management decided that's the way they were going to go. So that's kind of how these things come down. Management decides what it's going to be. It's a bit of a different situation, though. I mean, the Steelers actually took a huge dead money loss just to get rid of the guy. Well, they did. $20 million dead money loss to get him out of there. They did because why would you take the loss instead of saying, hey, we're going to make sure this guy comes in, we're going to get the situation fixed up and move forward and go win a Super Bowl. They took the position, nah, we're not going that direction. We would rather take this hit and show everyone we're still the Steelers. We run this thing as a family. If you don't want to be part of the family, we'll buy. Because they could have traded. Why wouldn't you take the hit then after year four and therefore not extend golf to year five and be on the hook for that? It would be much smaller then, wouldn't it? Well, you would think, but I don't know the exact, 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 the actual cap ramifications either way. Here we go. Here's the cap ramifications. Okay, get it. He's on board this year, 2019. The cap hit for him is $8.889 million. With the picking up of the option, it is $22.783 million for his fifth year. And then he'll be up for free to see after that. It's a $14 million gap right there. So you're saying the fifth year is totally guaranteed? They can't release or cut him? I mean, you, yeah, because they have to. They had a deadline in order to wish to take that one. Yeah, see, just, I don't know. I don't know if it's year, fully guaranteed. If it's fifth year offer, at that point, you're saying, you know, I, I can verify that. I mean, I could be 100% wrong. But when they took that fifth year offer, let's. You know, let's Google it real quick. Why not? Jeez. Yeah, why not? Are we got some NFL, time. Are the NFL <laughs> are the NFL fifth year options guaranteed? Here we go. What does Google What does Google say? It is guaranteed for injury when the option is exercised. What else does it say? Okay, here we go. Here we go. So here we go. The fifth year is guaranteed for injury when the option is exercised. Okay? The option year becomes fully guaranteed on the first day of the league year in the fifth contract year. So, in other words, in other words, the Rams, that was, uh, thanks, thanks CBS Sports. So the Rams have to make a call on him in March of next year, whether or not they're going to keep him or not. And if they do not let him go there in March of next year, the league year will begin this year, March 15th, right. then they're on the hook for all that money. There you go. It's an evaluation year. It's smoke and mirrors. So it looks like, ooh, he's here to stay, but unless it's fully guaranteed from the beginning, then they're not really on the hook for that. So they'll have until that date in March. Uh, I'm seeing here... The same thing uh, won't become fully guaranteed until the start of the league year next March. They can so, move on from him after two nineteen with no cap ramification. But here's that's the counter prop. That's, that. that's it. Sport track. Here's the counter prop. 
problem to that. The counter problem to that is if that's how they go about their business, they, they will let him go for nothing but a compensation pick. That's it. That's all. Possibly. It, and then because you otherwise you'd have to keep that contract as it is and trade them. And who's going to want to trade? Well, never mind. Someone will to it. You know what? I might be wrong here because someone might be willing to take a shot for 22 mil. Right. A quarterback in the 18. But still, it's only one year. The compensation for that, I guess my, my, my main counter argument still remains the same, though. If you just move him, you are starting over at quarterback. You but are, are you over. really, again, we've seen this happen time and time again, right? If a coach or an organization thinks that they're the ones that the reason why certain things are happening positively, well, their thing is guys and players are interchangeable pieces. Not necessarily, hey, man, we would mess up the chemistry in our locker room. Oh, we would show our team that we really don't care about you guys as player. It goes back to 1987 when Textram said when we were out on strike, well, they're just like cattle. We can get more cattle. So I never forgot that. You know, and here he was, you know, uh, running things over the Cowboys. But if at the end of the day, most teams feel like guys are interchangeable, players are interchangeable, and it's our system or it's our coach or it's our scheme or it's the way the game is being called is actually making us get to the playoffs or wins and losses, will they start operating under a different set of rules for themselves? Have you ever gotten that impression from the Rams about Jared Goff? That he was no, the not, part? See, I never have. I haven't gotten the impression, but you also don't seem like you get the like real strong, committed, this is our guy. Because it would seem like someone would have came out and just rebutted this story and just said, this is a bunch of nonsense. You know, Jared is going to be our guy down the road. But again, if you have in the back of your mind, ah, well, he's a B-plus quarterback, we could find an A-minus or even a B quarterback, and we still could end up at the same place with a lot less money. Again, I'm just thinking this is going to come down maybe to a money move. I think the Rams haven't said anything because they find it absurd, just like I do. I believe it's absurd. I believe your argument about it, your devil's advocate argument about money, and, and I think it's a fair argument to make because I've made the same argument. I was, I flipped my lid when the Vikings signed Kirk Cousins to that contract because I knew at that point it was going to reset the entire quarterback market. I believe to this day they overpaid for him and it jacked up the market. And it did, by the way. Okay. Well, think so, about think about that situation, though, Derek. That started off of this guy played two years under the cap. I mean, the, the, the uh, franchise tag, right? Mm-hmm. He gambled on himself for two years in a row. Now, do you think the Redskins would have actually thought both years he'd have been just lights out to the point like, oh, yeah, we now we can't let it go another a third year because, man, this guy seems to keep playing lights out. So they got caught in the mix of thinking, man, this guy's not going to really play to that stellar, so we'll be able to lowball him. And then they weren't able to do it. And, yeah, 
Kirk Cousins was Kirk Cousins, and we see what happens when you don't have the system, you don't have the coach, you don't have whatever it is, you come back to the pack and you look normal. Again, it's a team sport. I would argue he when he looked normal for most of the year. He, Who's that? When it comes to Jared Cousins? Goff, Jared Goff was, to me, and just in assessing him throughout last year and even the year before, okay, he was a 23-year-old who was going to make his mistakes as a 23-year-old, 22-year-old quarterback. But when he was on, he made all the reads, he made all the throws, he did everything you would want out of a franchise quarterback. We watched every pass he threw, both good and bad, and he had his share of bad passes. He had his share of bad games. But when it came down to it, and I'm going back to the postseason game, to to the NFC Championship game, it was, it was in that second quarter, the offense and defense were working together. Defense makes some plays. The offense moves on the field. They get, they get back into it. He made those plays. He led that team. It's not like it was just the Vikings. It wasn't. It wasn't just like those. It was just some kind of scrub team. They're playing to me, one the other best team in the NFC. So when we put all that together and assess all that, I just don't see him as that guy. That would be like a Cousins. Basically, I'm going back to, I'm going all the way back to the beginning, to he is not a system quarterback. He's a flawed young quarterback who needs to grow. And maybe, maybe your argument's right. Maybe your argument's right. Maybe the Rams are looking at him and going, okay, hey, you know what? We like what you've done these last two years, but we need you to get here by the end of this year, or we're going to have to move on. I can, I can, I can, I can, what's the word I'm looking for? I can give into your point there on that. That you might well, be right, I, I, but I just don't see it. Well, well I, I believe me, I, I understand fully. My thing is, all of us who've had an opportunity to play at that level, they never say, "Hey, Michael Stewart, we understand you're just an eighth round pick." Okay, you're going to get four years to mature into a Pro Bowl caliber player. That's not how it goes. When I started those three and a half games as a rookie, it's like it doesn't matter. You're a rookie. You're only playing your third year in the secondary, having switched, you know, after two years in college now to a secondary player. They don't say, well, man, this is only the guy's third year and he's in the NFL playing a secondary. They don't care about that. All they want to know is, hey, man, are you making your plays when they come up? Matter of fact, make other plays as well. And then you roll into year two, okay, you've been on our team for a year. It automatically jumps up to the expectation that you're going to be a six, seven-year vet because you've been there a year and you've actually started some games. So my point is, Jared Goff, we could say, oh, well, he's a younger guy and he came out early and, you know, the first year was wasted. At that level, they don't look at it like that. They go, you're in the NFL, son. You better show up, do your job, and do it at a high level. They don't have what normal people would say, hey, year one in sales, you should be doing this number. Year two, year three, year four, year five. No. Year one, you better be doing what the guy who has been here 15 years doing because you're in the league. You mean to tell me in the NFL 
there's no mindset for progression from as a quarterback. You expect him from day one, day two, or year one, year two to be the guy he's going to be his entire career. Well, you got to figure it. Back in the day, guys sat for two, three years before they got their chance. Now guys are getting drafted to be the guy. So that changes the whole parameter. It's like Kyler Murray. They can say whatever. They drafted that guy and they did all the stuff they did, got rid of a guy who was a first-round pick the year before. They're going to be like, Kyler Murray, you better be ready to go when the season starts. We don't care. You better be ready to go. Because we've done all this, and they may say, oh, well, he's a young guy, he's a rookie. Yeah, they're going to say all that. The expectation is, no, we did all this and drafted you because we feel you can take it, you can make it, you're going to do whatever, you're going to just be this outlier and be like Joe Namath year one or, or whomever was a rookie and it did well. So my thing is, yeah, re- reality says, man, it takes two or three years to learn the speed how quick a guy can break on the ball, the systems, to be able to know like a Tom Brady. I know that option one, two, three. I don't even have to look at option four. I already know it's open. Bam, I just throw it there. Yeah, you're not going to get that in year one or year two. Take some time. But I'm saying the expectation is still like you're here to help us win games. Well, hold on a minute here. Here's my question. Did Jared Goff improve from year one to year two? Yes. Did he improve from year two to year three? Yes, but why? Most people say it's because he had a different quarterback. He had a different coach. They buried Jeff Fisher. Oh, he was a defensive guy. But but year two, year three, they didn't have that change in the offensive coordinator. He had a change in quarterback coach, but not the change in coordinators, not the change in head coach. Did he improve from year, year two, year three? Right, but what I'm saying is, if we're going with the analogy that over time and he's not a system quarterback, then you can't say, oh, well, he couldn't play under Jeff Fisher because of that system, but he can play now under McVay's system, but he's not a system quarterback. You can't have it both ways. That's all I'm saying. No, but I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just marking because you're saying here the expectations are there from the beginning. Well, he's improved every year in the league. Correct. Okay, he's I mean he's he's improved not just in terms of his skill, but in terms of just his maturity across the board. So at this point, why would you say, well, at this, why would anybody all of a sudden raise the question of, well, we're going to ahead and get it? He's not worth the money. Well, this is this is what I'm saying is what we don't have privy of. We're not sitting in those meeting rooms with Coach McVeigh, the offensive staff, the scouts the GM, the president, and they're breaking down the film as they're evaluating who they should pay, when they should pay, and so on and so forth. What if they're sitting in the film, we know of the passes that we felt like maybe Jeff missed, and oh man, if he could hit that, man, that could have changed. If he hit that guy, was like, oh, that could have changed. You mean Goff? Goff, I mean. Uh, Jared. If he would have hit that pass, But what if there's five or six other plays that hadn't been talked about on the air because the announcers don't know what the Ram play call was or where he was really supposed to go? What if there's five or six or seven other plays that no one else knows about except the people in the room? One thing here, just one question with that overall, and this is going to be a little off. 
Mm-hmm. Talking about all those things, here's the one final reason I'm really skeptical of this. Okay? And it's the person mm-hmm. who talked about it, and that's Mike Florio. All right? Mm-hmm. His credibility across circles is not very good. If you want this to be a credible thing, why wouldn't you leak it to, say, the LA Times? You have your own LA Times writer. Why wouldn't you leak it to ESPN? Or to why why some guy whose credibility is eh, and Florio's credibility is eh, because, you know, why it's that guy? Easy. It's easy. Easy. Okay. If you leak it to the sources that no technically are yeah, if if you leaked it to or the guy closest to the organization reports it, it's going to create a lot of credibility. If you have it in mind, yeah, you're going to leak it from this very, oh, man, that doesn't make any sense. Again, you're not going to tell the league. You're not going to tell everyone what your hand is, the cards you have in your hand. It's called the bluff game. You know, when you're playing poker, everybody's bluffing. Yeah, I don't have this. I don't have that. Yeah, I do. And then, oh, man, he bluffed me. So my thing is, if you want to get something out, you have these channels to get things out to make it look like, oh, man, that's just a bunch of. But I'm just saying for a guy like that to be on public airways, been on here a while, pretty well known in some circles, whether he has credibility or not. Why would he just randomly just start talking about Jared Goff in contracts? Well, I don't know. They had just been talking about Dak Prescott's contract contract coming up yes. and the fact the Eagles are getting ready to extend Wentz. But the Rams, no one's talked about the Rams at all. Right. But one of the reports I heard when they went down a list, and I think this was with uh, Young Sims, uh, Chris Sims, he was going down the list. If you had a quarterback who run, would you pay Dak? Or Jared, or Dak, who has a stronger arm. Oh, it's pretty close, but I'm going with Dak. Uh, a guy who can do some things with the least amount around him, Dak. So it's like he's going down his list on why he would pay Dak over Jared. And you go, he's a quarterback. Okay, he's probably watching a little more film. Okay, that might make sense. I don't know. We're looking at, as you just stated, we're looking at the improvement this young man has made year in and year out. That speaks for itself. All I'm saying is, at this point in time, they were in a Super Bowl game. There were some plays that could have been made. They're evaluating that in the sense of, well, hey, man, that was one or two plays. But we all know that play the game, we call them affordable plays. There's three or four of those a game that if you hit them, you usually win the game. If you don't, you lose. That's what it comes down to. So in this case, all I'm saying is if the Rams are suspect or skeptical, they're going to use this year knowing that everyone is gunning for him, knowing that everyone's going to look at that film and go, this is what we're going to do against this young man. We do this, we do that, we blitz him. He's going to get nervous. He'll just start throwing the ball wherever or he'll take sacks. They're going to see, hey, does this kid get rid of him? Is he taking less sacks? Is he completing more passes? Is he stepping up when we actually have to have it? They're going to evaluate all that. Oh, Lordy. You've convinced me enough to at least consider it. I'm still not buying it all the way. But well, I can see me, the point. you know, and again, me, me either. I don't see 
if you got a good running game, you don't necessarily need this superstar quarterback, right? If you got a good coordinator in McVay who's calling great plays, you're good. You got a good defense, Wade Phillips, keeping scores, you know, to field goals and things like that. You're win. So then the point is, why would this even be a discussion at this point? Because it's real irrelevant, except if, as Mr. Florio was saying, if it has to do with the cap, and are we going to give X amount of dollars to one player? Let's not even say just because it's Jared and how well he's done. Let's just put it in numbers sake. Do we really want to? It's me and you, Derek. We're the CEO. Do we want to give 80% the cap to this one player now knowing we're going to be strapped? Maybe we can't say, uh, sign you know, Brandon and when he needs to come up. And some of the other guys who need to come up now we're strapped because we can't sign those guys. We got to go get, you know, a free agent player or less known guy from somewhere else. I don't know. I don't know what their their cap number is. I mean, we know it's reported, but those guys are in there crunching it day in and day out. All right. Well, I we could we I think you and I could keep going on this over and over and over again <laughs> for the next two hours, but. <laughs> This is only supposed to be an hour longer. So, yeah, right. so we're already running over. So before we move on, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Jim Hawk. Most of us are practically to anything in Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's Teen, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams, the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out the story of his father and the team he played for in Arrow Glitz, Glamour, and future Hall of Famers, rebound players at Norm Van Brocklin, Elway, Crazy Turner, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spend the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawks book online at hollowestteam.com and on Twitter at Hollowestteam. It's also available both in hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Folks, I've read this thing cover to cover. I can tell you it's a really, really good book on Rams history, and it's personal, very personal. All proceeds go to Homeboy Industries out there in Los Angeles, which works to get people off the streets, out of gangs, and becoming productive members of society again. It's a great cause, a great book, great story. Check it out. It's Jim Hawk's Hollywood Team Grit Glamour and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's well worth your time. Okay, before we exit out of here, we do want to go ahead and present to you Robert Land from Houston Sports Talk. He gave us a, a solid view of the Houston Texans in this segment of the tour around the league. Check it out. Here you go. All right, folks, I'm here with Robert Land from Houston Sports Talk. One of my one of my favorite interviews. I had him last year for the tour of the, around the league. Well, I'm having a great conversation, and I'm glad to have him back. Robert, how you doing? Doing pretty good. The, the word in Houston, though, is not as much the Texans right now. We're kind of on uh, referee watch with the Rockets. So that that's what's happening here. Oh, my gosh. That's all over the national news. And if it makes you feel better, we're, we're cheering for the Rockets here, right? We're, we're getting a little tired of the Warriors winning it all. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, I know SoCal usually has uh, no room for no Cal in their life. <laughs> 100% true. It gets old real quick here with the uh, with the Warriors. Okay, but getting to football, and now that you've had time to breathe a little bit, the draft is over, things are calming down, we're going to start heading towards the mini camps here. How do you look back and evaluate the Houston Texans 2018 season, especially after the way it ended in the playoffs? 
Well, the, the Texans had a super easy schedule and they were able to take advantage of it. I think that was the big thing. I, I know they were never really as good as their record. They, they couldn't get the offense of, of Deshaun Watson. I know you want to get to Deshaun Watson in a little bit, but they, they never got rolling like they were with Deshaun, uh, his rookie season, those first few games. Because, I mean, he was he was playing a Patrick Mahomes level type football in his rookie season. They just couldn't get that going. There were some injuries that had a lot to do with that, though, because he was coming off an injury, but also the receivers. I mean, Will Fuller, uh, they lost him for the season early on, and he's such a key part of their offense, the speed that he provides on the outside. I mean, he's the you know, he's the peanut butter to, to the jelly with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, but they had also added Kiki QT, and, and if he had ever been able to stay healthy, I mean, it's a name that I know a lot of NFL fans might not know, but he, they picked him up. Fourth round, it was their one of their best picks in the draft last year because he looked really good. It looked like him and Deshaun had some real chemistry. He gets open all the time, all through. Uh, I saw him all through minicamp and and uh, OTAs, and, and he looked great. And then he just it was hamstring after hamstring issue, and they just couldn't keep him on the field. When he was on the field, he was getting some double digit games and receptions. So uh, that that was the story on offense. The offensive line, we can get to that, but. That that's definitely a story with the offense, but defensively, the secondary just never could put it together. Um, that was probably the thing that held the the defense back from being a really elite defense. JJ Watt's never going to be the same. I mean, he's never going to be the JJ Watt you saw early in his career. And if you if you had that, this defense could have definitely been elite with some of the other guys that they've added uh, in the last in the, just in the last few years since JJ. You know, how it went through the back and the knee problems and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, I'm I'm not thrilled with Romeo Crennel right now. I don't know if he's really utilized his personnel uh, all that well this past season, and and that's a concern going into this season. And he's still around. Um, he, he had, I thought he'd done a great job, but last year I, I did, just didn't feel like it was one of the better jobs that that he had done uh, as a coordinator. So looking at this team right now, you're mentioning some of the weaknesses they had. And I'm looking at there's still some question marks like you, you know, Jadavion Clowney. He's been franchised, but he's not signed yet. How are the the Texans dealing with some of these little issues like that as they get closer and closer to the next camp? The Clowney situation. I, I don't know what's going to play out. I, I they keep saying they want him. They they would definitely want to uh, sign him to a contract to a longer term contract, but. You know, Brian Gain, he's about sticking to, you know, his guns on stuff, and he's got what he believes in. He's straight out of the Bill Parcells uh, and a little bit of the Bill Belichick. With it. Between him and, and uh, O'Brien, those guys are both out of that school. So they're not, they're not going to overpay on anybody. And Clowney is somebody that, you know, he, he, he's, he's not really a J.J. Watt-level guy, but he's still really good. And I think he gets underrated nationally because he doesn't put up the sack numbers. But his real strength is really against the run, and sometimes that that it gets overlooked because you don't you're looking at the sack numbers instead of the times that he knocks somebody in the backfield about five yards back on a running play, which you know it's it, it, it's a tackle for loss, so that's as good as a sack right there. Um, but the Clowney situation, I don't know how it's going to play out, but I don't think you mortgage everything you've got if you can't find a number to meet up with, and 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 if they. You know, have to franchise if they stick with the franchise going into this year and next year, 
you know, I, I don't know if Clowney's going to pull a Le'Veon Bell, but I mean, I, I think the Texans are going to stick to what they do. And, you know, I, I, I can't argue with it because, you know, there's not a lot of guys in the NFL that are just uh, indispensable. And, and I don't think Clowney really is one of those guys, but he, he does help the defense quite a bit. Now, looking at the offense here, you mentioned Sean Watson earlier. You know he's somebody we want to talk about. Did he meet your expectations this year coming off an injury? Not quite. I mean, the, the, the thing was he just couldn't get into that rhythm where the accuracy, the, the things that we were seeing from him those first few games, I mean, so it didn't quite meet my expectation. But, I mean, for a, for a second-year guy in the NFL – the numbers that he put up, the, the type of uh, leadership that he brought, the ability to, to scramble with an offensive line that, that's shaky at best, I mean, that was all uh, really big. I mean, you, you can't argue with the fact that he's still one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. He, he needs to take that next step. He needs to be able to see the rush coming a little bit uh, easier and find, you know, find that outlet um, or just get rid of it sometimes. And I think sometimes he just wants to make the big play so bad. He's so intent on, I'm going to make the big play down the field, um, which is good. I mean, you, you want that big play as an offense, but uh, there are times where you just got to, you know, throw it away, cut bait, and live to fight another day, and especially don't take the hits. Mm-hmm. Because as much as the offensive line got dissed both nationally, and if you looked at the numbers, a lot of those sacks and a lot of the hits that he took were just because he holds and holds and holds onto the ball. I mean, that you, you at some point, there are times where you just have to get rid of the ball, and, and he just wasn't doing that. But, I mean, just overall, I mean, I'm glad to have him with the quarterbacks that the Texans have seen over the last, you know, 15, 16, 17 years. And, and they're, they're, I mean, even Matt Schaub, I just was never a fan of his. I mean, it looked good on paper if you looked at it from a distance, but, you know, you just weren't all that confident that that guy could ever take you to a Super Bowl. Well, I'm not sure I'd be confident him getting me a Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he had a couple great years, and all of a sudden, it's like, what happened to this guy? It went from decent to a shell of something. And uh, I just cannot believe that he's even still in the league, to be honest with you. Now, the Texans, how do they improve themselves in free and see everywhere else this offseason? Well, I mean, there's disappointment here because everybody thought, well, they should have done more and paid big money. And and that's not what this uh, current group believes in. Uh, again, I, I go back to Brian Gain, the, the, the new GM that he started a little over a year ago. He came in when Rick Smith uh, was dealing with some personal issues with his, his wife. Unfortunately, uh, it did not end well. She passed away of cancer. And uh, Rick Smith, you know, he's taken a hiatus from from football right now. Uh, he was not a good GM as far as anything beyond the first round or, or maybe an occasional undrafted free agent like an Arian Foster or A.J. Boyer. But uh, Brian Gain, he just didn't want to go out and spend any ridiculous money. They also lost Ty Matthew, who looked pretty good this year for the Texans. Also, uh, Kareem Jackson, who looked good when he was playing safety, but he's not a good cornerback anymore. Uh, he's maybe beyond uh, you know the the age that you want him playing any any cornerback. So if the Broncos play him at, at safety, I, I think that's good for them. But if the, if they try to play him at cornerback, they're in trouble. Um, but if you look at what the Texans did add, they did get Tashawn Gibson. 
So he replaces at least one of those two guys at safety, and they've got Justin Reed, who was a third rounder who looked really good last year. So safety's fine, but Jonathan Joseph's 35 years old, their cornerback, and, and I'm going to just keep going to the secondary because that's the big thing. And then they they picked up a, a couple of journeymen's uh, b- besides that, Bradley Roby was one of those guys. Um, but if you look at uh, their draft, and, and I know you want to get there, but they did add a second-round pick, Lottie Johnson Jr., and, and I think that's the one draft pick in their, in their top three or four that everybody was unanimously uh, okay with, at least at least locally. And from what I've seen mostly nationally, they, they like the Lottie Johnson pick. And then they picked up uh, in the sixth round, Xavier Crawford. I, I, I don't know much about him he's from a small school they picked a lot of guys up in the draft from small schools he came from central michigan um but you know those guys you can't expect draft picks to come in and be ready to play cornerback in the nfl immediately you know usually uh if you get a first round pick maybe it's it's an elite guy a guy that's ready to play but you know beyond that a lot of times with with cornerbacks just like with offensive linemen and um we can get into those picks but that position is going to be uh, difficult to to get up to speed really quickly for NFL players. I mean, fans just expect, oh, you draft a guy and everything's fixed because you, you you know you get a guy that can fix it immediately. And you know, it it usually the the transition into the NFL is not quick for most positions, and maybe running back with the 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 real exception. So that goes now to the big thing here with, and that is Watson, and the guy got hit hard all year last year and coming off a major injury that has to be a concern for the Texans and their future. Did the Texans do enough in the draft to protect Watson? And is there still concern in Houston about the offensive line? Both of the guys are a project and that's the problem is most tackles are a project. Everybody, like I said, just thinks it's, it's not going to be the case. Uh, If you get a top 10 pick and he's one of those surefire you know, left tackles, that's 10-year guy, you know, all-pro Hall of Famer. But, you know, these guys don't look like that. And if they did, then they would have been picked higher in the draft. So their their projects, uh, the, 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 what they have left is Julian Davenport, who you know, everybody wants to throw to the curb. He played one full year so far in the NFL. He played a couple of games his first year, one full year last year. Uh, I still think that that guy can be a decent tackle. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer, but I still feel like he's got a lot of the physical tools to be a decent tackle, but he came out of Bucknell. I mean, that's going to take time. It's a, it's a fourth rounder out of Bucknell. And and so uh, you got him, you got Matt Khalil, which just is a Band-Aid. I, I wasn't real thrilled with that pickup, more for what they're paying him than you know what mm-hmm. he is but he's just a guy and then they got Chantrell Henderson who can't stay on the field either can Matt Khalil so you know they might have to really depend on uh, one of these two rookies to be able to at least handle right tackle the guards are the guard and guards and center are not bad they're they're serviceable and and the big thing for the for the Texans is just the the tackles and and getting them to to be where you can at least go, okay, they can at least give Deshaun Watson a little bit of time and, and not get hit. And, and it wasn't terrible last year. Like I said, I think the numbers, the sack numbers, are mis- totally misrepresent you know, the, the, the tackle situation. There, there were moments where it was bad, but Kendall Lamb, who's now with the Cleveland Browns, 
he actually was decent at right tackle, but he was a stopgap. He, he's not a good blocker on the run, and you know he was never going to be anything special at right tackle, and so they just d- decided that they just didn't want to pay him going into this year. So, you know, th- did they fix it? I, you know, it's far from that. Hopefully, maybe one of these guys can at least make you a little bit better, but what they really need is – It'd be nice if Julian Davenport took like an, one more step forward at left tackle because obviously that's that's Deshaun's blind side and that's the one that you really want to get uh, down as as good as you can. So, just judging from the tone of this interview today, it doesn't look like you're all too positive on where this team can go next season. So, uh, what do the Texans need to do to win the AFC South next year? And, and honestly, how many wins? Can you count on next year's schedule? Well, let's take a little bit of a look at next year's schedule. And the problem was Texans went from one of the easiest schedules, or it might have been the easiest schedule in the NFL, to maybe the hardest or one of the hardest schedules in the NFL. But when you go through the the, the gauntlet that they've got this year, uh, it's for real. They didn't face a lot of difficult quarterbacks last year. Very, very few difficult quarterbacks. You go into this year and you start off with Drew Brees. The Jaguars went from Blake Bortles to a Super Bowl MVP and Nick Foles. And even if you're not a big believer in Nick Foles, it's a big jump from Blake Bortles. Then you've got Phillip Rivers. Then you got Cam Newton. Then you got Matt Ryan. Then Pat Mahomes. Then Andrew Luck. Uh, Maybe a little bit of a break with Derek Carr unless they can get that train back on the tracks again. Then you got Nick Foles again. I mean, that's how you're starting the season. And later in the season, you get a little bit of Tom Brady in there. So it's it, it's a really difficult schedule for the Texans. I don't think they can be better than 500 with this schedule unless a lot of things happen right for them. They, they need the other teams to have some injuries. And, and they, they need some health from Will Fuller and Kiki QT, those two receivers, because then the offense could be elite. If you could get... Just a, a smidge better offensive line. But to me, the big thing is those two guys staying healthy. Because if those two, two guys stay healthy, all of a sudden, I think you got one of the better receiving cores in the NFL. DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, we see him all the time. He's the best. I mean, uh, you know, I, I know Antonio Brown. Uh, there's a lot of fans of him out there. But DeAndre Hopkins, you watch him game in and game out with what he's had to deal with at quarterback prior to Deshaun Watson. We saw what he could do with a... Brock Osweiler and a Ryan Fitzpatrick and a you know all, all of all of the the litany of of bad quarterbacks Ryan Mallett and you know Brian Hoyer over the years and then what you see what he can do with Deshaun Watson I mean he's the best you you put that group out there then the offense is is really something the defense um, hopefully they can the, the secondary is going to look a, a little bit better hopefully they can th- fix the cornerbacks a little bit with some of the moves that they made but. Um, I'm still concerned about the cornerbacks because, you know, outside of bringing in a veteran that you can count on, and I don't think Bradley Roby is that, then I, I don't see the cornerback situation getting a whole lot better, and, and that's really the concern. The secondary is not good. Now, I've been watching Bradley Roby since his Ohio State days. Now nah, you can't count him. <laughs> I wish I could say differently, but he's been overrated for a long time. Yeah, it's it's it, it's going to be a real struggle for them just to get to eight and eight this season. I mean, I, I I don't know what the fan base thinks around here, but the, the people that look at the schedule and compare that schedule to the last year, 
I mean, it, it, it's night and day difference. But, you know, I, if, if, as a fan, I just want to see Deshaun out. I want to see him have the array of weapons that, they, that they've got because, you know, that offense could look really fun and really interesting. And the big thing is I want to see Deshaun progress as a quarterback, which means he needs to do a better job of getting rid of the ball quicker. He needs to see the field a little bit better. There are times where he just misses wide open guys. That's the type of stuff that you need to see. You need to see progression because, you know, it's the NFL. It's a quarterback league. Um, You talk about 4,000 things, but it always seems to come back to the quarterback. All right, Robert, can you tell people where they can find you? Sure. I'm at uh, my podcast is called Houston Sports Talk. It's at HST podcast. And uh, if anybody's interested in listening to it, we're on all your a typical podcast form, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast app, all that stuff. All right, Robert, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know how busy you actually are. And, uh, well, hey, we'll talk to you again hopefully next year. Absolutely. Thanks a bunch. Right. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right, so it's getting late here in Rams Talk Radio Land. It's time for us to go nighty night. But before we do... If you're looking to sponsor the show, if you're willing to, if you're interested in it, hey, reach out to us at ramstop1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Also, in case you didn't know, we have a Los Angeles Angels podcast also available called Talking Halos. It's hosted by yours truly and a buddy, John Crane. Uh, we're still working on a Dodgers podcast, but my guys are slow. What can I tell you? Uh, what can I tell you? They were following with me. I got like 15, 16 episodes of Talking Halos, and these goofballs still are slow in the game. Anyways, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Talk Rams, and on Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo and Mike at 1Duke23. Don't forget, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, all those places. IE Beat Radio plays our shows on Wednesdays and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Mike, any closing thoughts before we roll out of here? Hey, man, this was a blast, so I'm looking forward to some feedback. Some feedback? Please leave us some feedback. <laughs> man, I'm not sure how this is how this is going to play out. Right. Have a great one, folks. Take it easy for Mike and the entire Rams Talk staff. We'll talk to you later this week. We're out. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA. Only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.